just hear that you've been decorated and they sent you here to be posted? Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. There ain't nothing here, Lieutenant. Everybody's run off or got killed. What about Indians? Chafin, take a look at a movie that came out 30 years ago this week, and uh, 30 years ago this week, a uh, an epic uh, for sure came out, and that was Kevin Costner's directorial debut, Dances with Wolves, which literally won all of the Academy Awards that year, uh, except for maybe Best Supporting Actress. I think Mary was nominated, but she didn't win, and the big controversy outside of the subject matter and everything else is that it also uh, lost uh, a lot of awards to Goodfellas. We're very lucky to also be joined today by Adam Perrone, the Associate Director of the Sundance Institute's Indigenous Programming, and also a director himself and a writer. He's got a great piece in Variety right now for those who are looking to uh, celebrate uh, Native Heritage Month by watching films. It's a great list of, of, of films that they can check out online. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Adam, uh, let's let's start with you. let's start with you. I mean, we could talk about very quickly. I guess we could just say what the movie's about, which is that uh, Kevin Costner is a Union soldier who, after defying death <laughs> at the top oh of the God, movie, this scene, uh, which I hope we'll talk about later, up... is completely insane. <laughs> oh, we will we will definitely talk about <laughs> this insane scene. Um, his Jesus Christ oh moment, or like I would also call it his Bono moment. <laughs> on the horse um but uh he defies death he gets set uh sent out to put up a a post for soldiers to come to it is there that he meets um the sioux uh native americans who he uh ends up developing a relationship with and uh learning lots about their culture and and and, and learning to uh, be a part of their culture and then the union soldiers come back in and they are brutes and they are brutal and they uh, basically, in in some ways, uh, begin to wage war uh, against the, the the Native Americans in that in that area. A lot more in between, which we'll which we'll talk about. But that is the gist of this three hour movie. If you're listening to this and haven't seen it, <laughs> um, Adam. So you said before we even started that you grew up with this movie, um, and you kind of know it like the back of your hand. What is what does that mean? What did it mean to grow up with this movie for you? How did it come into play in your in your early years? Yeah. Um, well, I think like, I, I mean, I'm Native American, obviously. Um, and uh, like one thing, which I think like it's probably the same with a lot of other groups of people, but I think even more so, I think with Native Americans, given sort of our unique um, sort of position within American culture. Um, but usually like whenever there is like, uh, or at least back when there was, and still to an extent now where it's like, there's sort of like a Native American themed movie or like, you know, it has Native actors. It was always kind of a thing to see. Um, and I think, uh, this movie was definitely one of those, like, I was, I, I want to say, like, I was about like four or five when it came out, but I remember like my mom, uh, and like the rest of my family, you know, they all like 
they were pretty impressed by it just sort of given the uh, sort of the scale, but then also sort of like, and this is like, obviously now it's a, somewhat a little bit more debatable, but like at the time, sort of the, the attempt at authenticity that hadn't really sort of happened before at that level. Um, so yeah, I think it was definitely, it was, it was definitely kind of a moment and, you know, there's always sort of like these different, uh, these, I, I don't know what you call it. Like, I guess these sort of, these different sort of things within the film that were always sort of like brought up as sort of like inside jokes. Like, um, when, uh, what's, what's her name? Uh, Mary McDonald, like there's that part when she's, she says like, you know, the ho, ho, holy man kind of thing. Like that was always kind of a joke that would <laughs> always kind of be said, or like, you know, like when she's kind of like trying to like, wait, wait, so, to speak so, English. so you mean like your family would, would make this joke to each other, like making reference? Yeah. I don't really, re I don't really remember the context. exactly. I think it was like when somebody would say something was like holy or something, you know what I mean? Like something around like church or something like that. It was like, you kind of say that as a joke, but, um, that's, that's yeah, funny. I think, yeah, there's like stuff like that. And I think, um, like my weirdly, like I was trying to, after you'd reached out to me, I was trying to remember my first sort of memory of like seeing the film after, after kind of like when you'd reached out. But I think like the thing that I always remember is when Kevin Costner, when he's like sort of going out and he's with that, like that mule, um, uh, that like the mule wagon guy, yeah. uh, Timmons or whatever. And I just, yeah. the only thing I remember is like when he's like writing in his journal and he like farts and he's like, why don't you yes, put that in your journal? Dude. Yeah. That's like, that's the one <laughs> thing I remember that, like, as a kid. Yeah, I thought it was pretty I funny had, as a kid. I had, but, yeah. I had the exact same experience rewatching this movie where I was kind of like, I felt like I had never seen it before, but then the fart scene happened and I was like, Oh, I remember this scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it totally, was like yeah. the only scene that I remembered. And then the sex scene under the blanket, I was kind of like, Oh, I yeah, remember I this too. too. Like yeah. my young, that was the only two things my young brain <laughs> accepted from the movie at that age. Yeah. The fart joke and the sex scene. Yeah. but um, uh, And yeah. I do love that there is a fart so joke within 25 minutes of the opening of this movie. Like this very serious three hour epic. <laughs> As a as an elaborate fart joke, which is yeah, totally. Well, well also we should too, also talk about yeah, like that the the fart is also the beginning of the very hand heavy handed juxtaposition between like the mannered the very mannered polite Kevin Costner and Native Americans and brutish impolite unmannered uh, Union soldiers for, yeah. for for the rest of the movie. The fart totally. is like the beginning, or I guess also the drunk sort of the uh, general. Point. The general, the yeah. The, who like who is who, his, his, who wets himself? He says to Kevin Costner as it. Kevin Costner is walking out of the room. He's like, "Hey, I peed my pants, and nobody can do anything about it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's totally. like, "What? What is yeah. happening?" Um, Adam, I'm curious. You know, the the ho ho holy man. Uh, in joke that you, you know, you and your family had, was that just because it was like, cause every family, if they watch a movie enough times just has lines that they repeat for fun that are kind of yeah. an in joke. Or was that, was that a joke because there was something sort of incorrect about what Mary, Mary McDonald, Mary McConnell was doing there or like, it, it, you know, it was inauthentic in some capacity. I, I don't think it was any sort of question of authenticity. I think it was just kind of oh, like, okay. it just was like, kind of just like a funny thing, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, and I, I mean, the I think that like, families develop that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean like the other thing too, which was like, which also sort of, I think plays into like now looking back on it, how people, you know, they, they sort of correctly identified it as like a white savior kind of film. Like the one thing with her, um, with her character, um, it stands with a fist. Um, that was like, I, th I think I remember, I, cause I remember, and this is always sort of a part of like our family history is that like, especially within my, one of my tribes, which is the Kiowa tribe, they're from, um, they're from Western Oklahoma. Um, 
but you know that was before they were sort of like forced there by the the government they used to go up and down kind of um north and south within the u.s and on the plains um but uh one of the things with a lot of those tribes that were on the plains and like ours in particular is that they actually did take um captives and stuff and so we actually it would have mm-hmm. been my um great i guess it'd be three great grandmothers um one of them was a, a captive actually oh, wow. um from an irish really? family so yeah so it was interesting and it's like that's also like within our tribe too there are a lot of people that have like um i guess you could say they usually have somebody in their background that that was like a captive and stuff and it's like it's a very sort of like um it's like it's it's sort of hard to describe within like sort of i guess you could say sort of contemporary like american logic of like why somebody would do something like why would they steal a kid um and sort of like you know essentially absorb them kind of into your own community and like obviously part of it was to sort of you know inflict a certain level of pain on like another you know whoever your enemy was but also part of the other thing was like especially when they were doing it in between tribes like they would do that like you know they would take uh people from other tribes and do the same thing and then other tribes would do the same thing and like part of that was also sort of like um a strategy of sort of keeping peace because i think it's also the idea that like you know you know if you know that like you have a cousin or you have a sibling that's like within that community you're much less likely to go to war with them because you don't want to like you know essentially be fighting them so um but yeah anyways though that, i always thought that that was like kind of an interesting piece looking back on it because i do remember like people kind of talking about that and it was always like known it wasn't like the film it was just i think more sort of seeing it done in a way because that had been in in films all the way back to you know i mean since the beginning of films but i mean i think the more obvious oh, sort even, of yeah, things right. are like you know like the searchers or you know different yeah. things like that so well it is interesting yeah. the even way before it's... films even before movies though the captive story uh the, or the female captive story specifically was a huge part mm-hmm. of um uh, of like you know west western culture at that point it was a way of depicting the native americans as like you know they're going to steal your wives i have a book in my room that i got at badlands this summer that's like uh women women captive stories because i was just like what is this this has got to be insane and the Mm -hmm. first thing that says at the top is like all of these were embellished (laughs) yeah yeah well it's like it's interesting too because it's like there's a there's a really good book called um i forget who wrote it but it's called the captured and it's actually about um a lot of these um, I don't know. I mean, I guess they grew up. So, I mean, but like back when they were kids, when this happened to them, it was mostly kind of around, like, I think they profiled people that were mostly kind of around Texas or, um, uh, kind of around that area. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because it's like, there were a lot of, you know, there are a lot of like settlers that were coming out and, you know, there for various reasons, there'd be raids or, you know, sort of these fights that would happen back and forth. Um, and, you know, part of the thing with the, these captive things, it was interesting because it's like these kids would come and they would become a part of the community. And then at a certain point, uh, they would, you know, they'd either go back or like as they were starting to settle people on reservations, they would they would notice people that weren't like, uh, I guess you could say, like uh, biologically a part of the of the tribe. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they were already accepted yeah. and they were like a, a part of the tribe, but then they would bring them back but the thing was is that like most of the time like it was interesting because like even some of them that could remember english by the time they were brought back they didn't want to come back because they actually just like living with those tribes for the most part i think because of the lifestyle was it was a lot different and it was like i think versus kind of people coming and trying to settle and trying to like live in this environment that was totally foreign and alien to them um versus kind of like living in this community that had already figured that out um and i think also too part of it was also um from one of the things I remember from reading was like sort of given how strict a lot of like how strict sort of like um, 
I guess you could say cultural protocols were within like white settler communities at the time, specifically around religion or things like that. It wasn't so much the same way with uh, a lot of indigenous communities where it was a little bit more like relaxed and, you know, a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say easygoing in some ways, but um, yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting sort of thing how, with how they capture that in that film, because it's like, again, too, it obviously it has its issues now when you look at it um, through like certain lenses of like political correctness and things like that. But it's like at the sure. time, I think, the, the depiction of it, I think, at the time was something that was pretty, like, landmark, I guess you could say. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk well, about that, too. Like, the way it's depicted in the movie, it's it, it, you you might expect it to be a point of conflict at some point, because they do show her family being killed by natives. But but I, as a layperson, I wasn't sure, and I don't think the movie makes it 100% clear if that's the same tribe that she's currently living with. Like, they kind of don't make it sound like it is, because they say that... Mm -hmm. Um, Graham Greene's character like found her when she was an infant. That that's the way they oh, yeah. they, they say it. But was yeah. was it is it your read on it that it, it it is supposed to be like the it is the Sioux that are like killing her family? Uh, I yeah, I was I don't know. I mean, I kind of remember that now that you're saying that. Like, and I think it like I don't know. I mean, it could have been a thing where it was like another tribe that did it, and then like Graham Greene comes along and like finds her, or it could have been the Sioux. I think it's yeah. I don't know. It might be sort of somewhat ambiguous the movie is definitely leaves it ambiguous i feel like but it is it I, never becomes a point of conflict in the film it, it's just yeah. treated as kind of like her backstory and they never there's not hostner does hostner doesn't get in an argument with anyone about it i i thought especially for the time it's handled very interestingly yeah do and you I think, feel like okay. oh sorry i was just gonna say do you feel like it's left ambiguously specifically because one of the main priorities of this movie, even though, you know, 30 years later, it, it, it doesn't entirely succeed at that, but maybe in 1990 it, it, it did, which is sort of rewriting the history that had been written by movies and, and, and Western culture be before that. And so therefore it's like, leave this ambiguous because in no way does it really want to tie, it, does it want to tie her story specifically to that, the, that narrative? I don't or know. Maybe just make be, to make Graham yeah. Brain's character more sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I think that's a good question because I think it's also like I think knowing kind of the lengths that like Kevin Costner went to sort of get a certain level of authenticity with this and with like sort of the involvement that he had with a lot of people within that tribe to try to recreate some stuff. I would think like I think there's maybe one of two things. I think like one, it might just be a thing where if it is the case where it's supposed to be another tribe, it's probably just meant to do that so that there's like less sort of conflicted feelings about who you should be rooting for if that makes yeah. sense mm -hmm. but i also think though too i think which which as much as i think this film romanticizes a lot of sort of stuff of like obviously the the period and uh and like culture and stuff like that i think that like one thing that maybe is a good sort of thing to point to which is a bit more like kind of on a a harder end uh is um a film like robert aldrich's uh Lizana's raid which um, which does a really good job of, and it's like, obviously there's a lot of stuff now that haven't, you know, aged particularly well with it. But the, the point that it sort of gets at is that there's a certain, as much as like, as like uh, white Americans will try to understand things specifically of that time of how people like could do things like in terms of like, you know, warfare or even just like with how they would survive. It's just sort of like beyond the pale of like what culturally they can, accept or they, they can even sort of understand. So I think that maybe it might've been also like Costner's way of kind of like maybe hitting that wall and just kind of being like, I'm just going to show it like this and like 
hope that I can kind of get people to lean the other way, you know, you know what I mean? So, cause it's like, it's, it's sort of one of those things where it's like, it's, um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, that's, that's the way that I would, I, I would sort of look at it as specifically if it was sort of maybe Costner hitting a certain wall with something and, you know, him obviously trying to paint something that was tipping the scales a bit. That was, you know, something that was meant to be more sort of sympathetic towards a, a, a white American audience. So. Yeah, that's my big question about the movie and where it fails, you know, 30 years later, not to keep saying the title. Yeah, what is the title of the show, Ricky? Uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting. 30 years later, and this week we're talking. Um, no, is that, for me, what it felt like was like, this was a, a film that did feel deeply felt by the guy that directed and starred in it and, you know, gave up $3 million of his own money to do it and really kind of put his career on the line. Not that that's like, you know, that big of a... Um, not that that's that big of a deal. The same risk he would take later for Waterworld, and it didn't play out the yeah. same way. <laughs> and the post and the postman. Yeah, post uh, yeah, exactly. No, but that it, where it, where it kind of fails in its authenticity is are all the moments where it needs to be like. But the movie's about this man, so we need to make sure he does the thing in this scene. Or the yeah. movie's about this, so we need to make sure happens in this in the scene, which ends up kind of redirecting the authenticity, or at least like negating that authenticity for the sake of you know, 1990s Hollywood blockbuster movie logic. And you can see that it totally makes sense to the, to to Kevin Costner and to the team. It's like, well, he's the main character. So like this will be happening and then he'll be there, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it does sort of weaken it a little bit. I, I, I yeah. Well, I think it's like, I think it's also like, that's also kind of part of the thing too, which I think is like, you know, I mean, I, I can totally see like what the exec meeting would have looked like for this thing where it's like maybe Kevin Costner coming and saying like, you know, he wanted to do something where it was probably like, you know, maybe him that where he was like a captive as a kid and kind of grew up or whatever. But like, it, I think the thing ultimately of like, like with any sort of like white savior story, it's essentially sort of like about like creating an in for a white American audience into a culture right. that's like completely different than their own. Um, and so I think it's also the thing too of sort of like, Again, there's like certain walls, like with any culture that you're going to sort of hit if you're not from that culture or unless if you spend enough time there where it's just like according to your own morals or your own sort of like cultural logic that you've like grown up with, it's just like not going to make sense. You know what I mean? And so I think that like I think with some of the stuff of kind of what you were talking about with like maybe some of the softer edges, the film sort of like goes into into some things. It's I think it's most likely it's it's probably something like that because it's just sort of like cool well like you know how would the you know the the main sort of white american all-american character that's going in here like how would he you know you know how do you approach these sort of things specifically if you know if you're expect if you know it's for an audience that has never seen something like this before so well costner costner had final cut on it did he really but yeah he had final cut. i mean is that, that why like it's three hours long and right he, <laughs> I mean, he ended up putting out like an extended cut, like a late yeah, after, right. not long yeah. afterwards. But yeah, he had final cut. I imagine, and Adam, we already talked about this over email that you know he yeah, walked in and was like, "Look, I'm showing my ass, guys. I'm putting <laughs> yeah, my butt yeah, on yeah. the line here. Literally, Every one of you're films. gonna let me do what I want." Look, yeah. this is an important story to me, but I'll, I'll tell you what puts asses in the seats, and it's my ass. <laughs> it's got to be in the movie, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think he's Every been doing it as late up as until I think. Draft day. Yeah. Oh, sorry, was, go ahead. No, what was the other what? one that he did? The one where he's like the hitman or whatever? You know what I'm talking about? Oh my god. Oh, not the bodyguard. The bodyguard, he had to have shown his butt. No, I can't it, imagine he didn't show yeah, his butt in the bodyguard. No, Mr. Brooks. That was the one he yeah, Mr. Brooks he even had that in there too. Did so, he really? Yeah. So it's like he's been doing that, although I don't know about his his later stuff, but it's like he's been doing that for sure until 
2007. 2007. So. I love that you did have the correct year for Mr. Brooks off the top of your head. That's pretty yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I really, I really want to see the scene where like the, 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 the creative team behind some movie with Kevin Costner, where Kevin Costner is like 63 years old, gets the memo from his agent and they're like, Kevin wants to show his butt. It's like the, the exact He's 63 years the old. The execs on this Yellowstone about? are constantly having to tell him he can't show his butt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things uh, uh, about this movie that that I also like, and we were kind of talking about this, I mean, it comes up in the end. I mean, it's just the history, but you are not, it doesn't relish in painting the Sioux uh, or even really the, the the Pawnee who are in it as well as as victims. There isn't a, a, a consistent victimization. I mean, obviously in the end, we're given that title card that shows us, you know, what happened to the Sioux Indians. And mm-hmm. we're given a, a an image in the last hour of how the, Union soldiers are going to treat them, but it's not like three hours of brutality right. against yeah. a, it's against Native Americans. It's actually two and a half hours of like trying to explore the culture for, like we said, for to to open the door for a white audience. But at the very least, it's not you know a slaughter fest for two and a half three hours. Yeah, no. It's, well, I think it's also too because it's like there've been a number of films that have done that sort of thing, and I think like. I would, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but it's like, I'm sure that like Costner probably saw something like Soldier Blue, which I don't know if you guys have seen that film where it's like, it's essentially sort of about that where it's like Candace Bergen and uh, I forget who else, but um, essentially I believe it's based off of the Sand Creek Massacre. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like pretty brutal towards the end. Um, it's it's essentially like, uh, it's a super long like massacre scene, but it's, I think it's like, because of, I think, you know, because that's something that had been sort of like on screens before, I would think that like, that's probably like Costner was really making something that was more about kind of like the cultural end of it. Uh, I mean, it has plenty of like, sort of like battle stuff within it. But I also just think that, um, yeah, it's interesting, because it's like this film's ultimately sort of about like the white gaze of this, this culture, you know, for, for better or ill in a lot of ways, obviously, just with in terms of, you know, obviously, not to say the the title of this podcast again, but 30 years later, sort of like, you know, what works and what, what didn't work or like what aged well and like what hasn't aged well and stuff. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty unique just in the sense that it's sort of like, I think there's sort of this thing that happens within, uh, within American film where I want to say it's usually about like every 30 ish years. Well, yeah, maybe like more closer to like somewhere in the 20 to 30 range where it's like somehow somebody gets back up onto the, like, let's do like a revisionist Western type of thing that, you know, yeah. it's focuses a bit more on like the native native side. And like, it's just something that happens, but it's, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, it's just something like that. I, I don't it, like native Americans have been have a, literally at the, at, at the inception, like not the inception, but like very, very early in cinema, um, even way back to like Edison's uh, short films early on, but it's, you know, it's always been sort of a running thing. And I think in, in some ways it's sort of been America trying to wrestle with, you know, a, you know, a genocide that happened on their own land and trying to figure out like how they make sense of like, how could people do something like this or be a part of it? And, you know, trying to figure out like an in or some way to sort of process it. Well, it's so interesting, like what you're talking about, because, you know, it it is the, the true story, like you're saying that it's a genocide and it, and so many, so many awful things were done by white European settlers on to the native population. Right. So to make a movie that, isn't about that but that is a serious film it almost feels like 
you know, like if you're going to make a serious film, like how can you ignore that part of the story? And this movie doesn't ignore it, but it wants to talk about like the culture of the native peoples and really trying to give you a, a window into their experience and their life, like apart from being victims. And I, I think it is so hard because I, I feel like if this movie was made today, you couldn't, that would have to be the whole last half of the movie it would just be like mm-hmm. absolute awful brutality. Like the kinds of things that happened to Kevin Costner, but happening to every native person in, in, in the film, you know? Yeah. I, I was just going to ask like, I, I mean, what is most likely a terrible question, but in terms of 30 years later, who's making the, re- if it's every 30 years, who's making the revisionist Westerns now? Is it in terms of like white filmmakers trying to explore that? Is it Taylor Sheridan? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like, it's interesting too, because it's like, to kind of like, maybe to provide some other context to it. I think it's like these films always sort of follow whenever there's some sort of like, some type of like social unrest or like uprising Mm. uh, by different native groups. So obviously you have like, American Indian movement in the late 60s, early 70s that, you know, spawned a lot of the stuff that happened in the like the mid to late 70s. And then you have, uh, you know, Wounded Knee that happened again a little bit later, which kind of spurred, I, w- I would think that that played a big part into, you know, probably the idea of this, of something like this film. And um, and then obviously you have things like, um, like I Don't Know More that happened a little while ago and then, you know, Standing Rock. And I think like since Standing Rock, there's been a lot more sort of like focus on, you know, how do you get like native filmmakers and artists to actually tell their story. Um, or there's like a lot more of sort of a push for accuracy, but I think like the thing that was probably the closest thing to to something like this, and not nearly sort of on the the cultural scale, was probably something like The Revenant. Um, you oh know, yeah, okay. oh, interesting. Yeah, but I, I you know, obviously, I, I think it's it, after that year, I don't think that many people kind of talked about the film, but I mean, it was a sort of a similar a similar kind of story, and um, and you know, kind of like also the similar sort of approach that I think um, Inuritu did, uh, specifically sort of with working with a lot of like native actors or different uh, different people um, within some of those communities. Well, this but there's something I, I maybe 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 it's just me, but there's something about the Revenant when I when I think about Dances with Wolves, like before having even rewatched it. If somebody had brought up Dances with Wolves to me, immediately I would think the Kevin Costner movie where he lives with. Uh, where he lives, where he lives with native people. Whereas the Revenant, like that is kind of like its interest in native people is kind of my, like sort of fifth or sixth on the list. The movie where Leo not, that Leo gets eaten by a bear, right? I mean, that's the first thing you think, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. movie where Leo looks into the camera at the end of the movie and says, "Give me a fucking Oscar now." <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think like one that's like probably like the closest one that I can think of that's going to be. Maybe I mean I don't I mean I can't project in terms of the cultural sort of impact of it, but I think in terms of like sort of the bigger sort of conversations that it'll start is I think most likely going to be Scorsese's next film, which is um, Oh yeah, Killer Killers of the Flower Moon, which again that's based yeah. off of a true story that, but that's like later in terms of like the time period than Dances with Wolves, obviously. But I think it's it's getting at something that I think in a, sort of in a way of sort of like you know trying to digest. Uh, and trying to wrestle with that idea of the legacy of that genocide. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm just saying that based off of what I know about the book. And I think people yeah, within I, people within the, within the sort of Native communities, I think, have sort of a lot of different, very mixed feelings about that book. And obviously maybe kind of like that a movie's even being made of it. But, um, but yeah, that's what I would kind of say. I'm sure that when that film happens, it'll probably, you know, cause its own sort of stir of, uh, and a lot of like, I think, good questions about, um, 
about the you know the historical aspects of it so yeah because i mean not to, not to get too far into it but i mean i've read that book and that book isn't isn't that interested in these sort of cultural details mm-hmm. of the um uh which what which, which excuse me which tribe is it again the, uh, the um, osage the Osage tribe, they're not there. It's not that interested because at that point, the tribe is fairly assimilated into the into the at least according to the book, they're fairly assimilated, like into the into the into the into the white community. So it doesn't really go into the details too much. And it becomes much more about the, you know, the villains, uh, the heroes and the villains, which were the white people killing yeah. them and then also the ones who are basically creating this new idea of the fbi as they as they as they try to prosecute the yeah. oh is that what this well, book is about it's, it's, oh i've i've heard this, yeah. this story it's, yeah. it's like a true story right it's, yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah, essentially yeah. i think it's like how the fbi more or less was created and like j edgar hoover's yeah. involved and stuff yeah. right yeah but yeah but i think that that's also but kind I, of a thing i think that's also i think also touching on a point though too that i think is maybe in some ways kind of like one of the bigger like 30 years from like three years later, the sort of one of the Achilles heels of something like dances with wolves is that it's sort of, it looks at an idea of like there. I mean, I don't think it necessarily authoritatively says this, but I think with sort of the impact in its culture, people look at something like that and say like, Oh, see, that is what indigenous culture is or slash was when it was authentic. And now it's sort of this thing of it being like, Oh, well, it's a bit more assimilated. It's like not so much that, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is necessarily true if that makes sense it's it's more kind of yeah. like i think a lot of our cultures are just like any cultures where they adapt to things that are going along with them and so it's like you know the osage in the i think it was the 20s or whatever when that happened it's like they're just as osage as they were you know probably 50 years before right it, like, i think it's just yeah, that that absolutely. idea where it's it's sort of that thing of it sort of like i think again too where the, the romantic the romanticization of that like costa kind of does with dances with wolves I think in some ways kind of plays into that because it's like at the end, you know, obviously it's sort of a bit more sad where it's like, oh, well, this is the last time that, you know, these people can truly be themselves where it's like kind of like, you know, you can go to those communities now. Those people are still living. It's like saying if like white people aren't living in castles, like they're not really living white people. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah, totally. Their castle culture was totally destroyed and now they're not even white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, well, it's, you know, just because, uh, you know, people aren't in the in europe aren't living like they are in the middle ages that you know it's somehow or you know what i mean like or like right. in the renaissance or something like that that somehow it's like no longer authentically like french or yeah, right. you know, italian or whatever <laughs> it's like no it's like they're just they're still french or italian it's just like it's just now it's just you know, modern so. times yeah exactly yeah totally. I mean, that's really that's a really interesting way to put it yeah because i mean i was definitely watching the movie feeling feeling all that stuff of like you know i can't believe that this i can't believe that you know, we completely eradicated this way of life. And, you know, so it's a much more interesting way to look at it to say, well, it evolved like everything. I mean, not to say that the white people didn't do absolutely awful things. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously yeah. they did like a hundred percent, but yeah, to think of it as just being yeah. like, just evolved. Yeah, totally. Um, as much as, as much as, you know, uh, be, due to its sort of white savory issues and the, the sort of idea of how, how a big budget epic has to be positioned narratively, uh, there's, some, there's some issues with it 30 years later, title of the show. But, um, <laughs> you have, I, you have a, a sickness, upon, Ricky, like you really do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I have to say, upon watching the movie, I was wildly impressed with Kevin Costner's filmmaking skills i know he kind of blew them later with Waterworld and the postman but 
I mean, it's not nothing that he makes a three-hour epic that is mostly people talking and learning about each other, and yet it is extremely entertaining in a populist way. I mean, this was the like fourth or fifth most highest-grossing movie of 1990. People owned this movie on VHS at home and watched it regularly on TV, and I just could not get over that fact. There were no transform i mean this is sounds stupid but like people just don't really watch movies like this <laughs> like a three yeah. hour movie for adults about like learning to understand someone different than yourself you know like yes yeah. well it's i think it's also it's one of those things where it's like very much of the time and i agree with you too i mean it's 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 interesting that i think and i think there's a lot, a lot of different reasons for this too and obviously this isn't to prop up this other director but it's like i think in some ways it's i think kevin costner in some ways he's not totally dissimilar in terms of like just as a director i mean not in terms of his personal life but like he's not completely different than somebody say like like mel gibson at the time where you know like yeah yeah uh, braveheart or even then like later on i mean we can skip over passion of the christ but like um you could you know how dare you how dare you skip well like apocalypto it has the same cinematographer exactly you know Yeah. yeah exactly where it's like you have something like apocalypto which again too that has its own issues but the thing is where it's like this sort of this I mean, when you think about it, it's like it's it's somebody who when you when people I think normally think of like actors directing films, they tend to think of them as being like, oh, yeah, they're going to make some sort of like a really sort of wordy drama or something like that, where the it's very clear that like Kevin Costner or somebody like Mel Gibson later on, um, you know, that they have a very sort of strong or maybe I wouldn't say strong, but they have a very sort of like a clear understanding of like how to tell a story visually and specifically on a, a huge screen. Um, and to deliver sort of that sort of level of, you know, an epic kind of tale type of thing, which I think that's something that I think a lot of people don't, I mean, even if you want to like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the camp that I'm like, I'm okay with Waterworld, like the postman's kind of where I fell off. But like, I think it's also, I think that he's, it is interesting that like, I think specifically with this film that like, I think people maybe don't look at Costner in the same way that maybe they do somebody as like a visual director like Mel Gibson. You know? But you're totally right. This movie would, is my, so visual, right? Only... Everything is like as somebody's riding on a ridge against a sunset. You know, people are running their hands through yeah. fields of wheat. I mean, almost every single shot is just absolutely beautiful to look at. And it, it is a deep visual sense. I, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's also almost no dialogue for like the first ten. Fi- I mean, it has a very there will be blood style opening where he's there, he's hurt, he's got to figure out his way out of there, he's got to find a horse. People talk, but none of it has anything to do with like plot or what he's doing, with the exception of the two surgeons who you don't even see talking; you just see their hands. I mean, it, the the whole movie is very much like as as little talking as as, as possible. I my only pushback for the Mel Gibson thing it goes back to what we were saying before about kind of reveling in sadism. Well, yeah, I yeah, that's true. That's, for that's sure. his really, thing. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like a, that's his thing, but that's also it's a cultural like a, a a cultural thing in the sense that like Kevin Costner seems to be kind of pushing against that a, a, a little bit. Like there's, there's battles there, but it's not Mel Gibson. It's like, well, to put them in the seats, you know, I got to tear some guts out. Well, it is really funny yeah, actually. Know, so my wife is, I, you know, I'm, I often say on the show that I'm a, I'm a good boy and I am a very squeamish person. And my wife is even more than me. So in the opening scene, you're saying, right. He's, he, the movie opens on a civil war surgeon's table in a civil war battlefield. And Kevin Costner is like, had some kind of an injury and they're maybe going to take his leg off. Right. And there's, so my wife was like, so grossed out by the shot of his leg that's supposed to be all fucked up. But I was like, it's just like 
water and red dye. There's not even a visible wound. There's just like blood on his leg. And it doesn't even really look that realistic, which is just to, to contrast with Mel Gibson, who would have had like hunks of flesh hanging off of a bone or something, yeah. you know, whereas this yeah, is totally. so demure. It's very, very demure. Yeah. I mean, I think I also, think too, most... I think there's like uh, maybe like I don't know if this is like a fair comparison with this, but it's like I do think that like part of that has to do with like sort of Mel Gibson being sort of like this really hardcore like Catholic, you know, and then like, yeah, you have someone like who's Coster who's like raised Baptist. So it's probably like a little bit more sheepish about some of that stuff. But like, it's just an idea. Right. I don't know if there's any, any, if there's any teeth to that, but. Whereas Gibson was raised SS and he's just like, rip it, <laughs> yeah. all, rip it all out. Exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, there is really no 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 gore. The goriest, I think, death scene is probably where his handler gets shot by all the arrows oh, at yeah, one point and sort of and sort of dies in the field, which is like the moment where I was like, God, this movie really hates like ill mannered people. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guy farts totally, yeah. and then gets like fifty arrows into the chest and body. Yeah. Well, blood. that's what you get, Ricky. Totally. Better not live that way. Um, can I yeah. just also add, um, please, that that's L. Uh, L- was his name Elton from Murphy Brown, the guy that was always painting her house on Murphy Brown? Did you either <laughs> guys watch Murphy Brown? I yeah, I was like, yeah, I think that was like, I mean, my mom used to watch it, but it wasn't my show when I was a kid. But well, Robert um, Robert Pastorelli, Elden was his name on Murphy Brown. Yeah, um, so it was just a real thrill <laughs> yeah. to see Elden from Murphy Brown and something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was but, his big chance. I mean, and he even capitalized on it, obviously. Making the leap to the big screen, Eldon. Um, so the opening of the film, we we you know we brought it up and we said we'd talk a little more about it later. But um, it's a right out of an old school epic, and it's funny that you bring up his Catholicism because it also feels very. Um, it feels very biblical. It feels very much like he's crucifying himself, that he's sort of dying for their sins and then being reborn on, on the other side. I don't know if I'm reading too far into that, but as there's, as the, as the soldiers are shooting him down, you know, he's got his arms stretched out, like he's being crucified. And then he wakes, he wakes up basically on the uh, uh, reborn on the other side. I think that's like, I think that's somewhat fair. I mean, like, I think like, and again, too, I mean, it's, I think with Westerns in general, it's also impossible to kind of totally extricate it from any sort of like sense of religion, just given like, you know, historically. And then also just, I think the idea of manifest destiny itself, you know, obviously the idea that like God mandated that this country was going to stretch from coast to coast and, you know, no matter what. And I think it's, I, I, I think that, that, yeah, I mean, I, again, too, I don't know Kevin Costner's like theological, you know, understandings or like whatever he believes in and stuff like that. But I think, I don't think it's like, I wouldn't, I don't think it's like totally ridiculous to, to think of it that way. I mean, it's almost in some ways sort of like a reverse missionary kind of story mm-hmm. um, in the sense of it, like not in the sexual way, obviously, like, you know, in terms of like this guy going to this community. <laughs> oh, that's what I thought you meant. Like, I'm sorry. I, I that's what I thought yeah, you meant. Yeah, yeah. I was very confused. I was like, what movie did Adam? I was no, like, no, I think he means reverse yeah, yeah. cowgirl. Ooh. I don't yeah, want to no, make it look yeah, yeah, dumb, no. though. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, the idea of it, like this, this, you know, the sort of this white all-American dude going into this community and then essentially sort of him converting versus sort of the other way, which is, like, you, I mean, there's been plenty of those stories as well, too. Um but I also think, though, too, I mean, I think it's interesting, um, maybe going back a couple points, the thing that's also really interesting about this, too, is just given 
again, it, it is kind of crazy when you think about it in in hindsight, specifically after Heaven's Gate and that sort of being like the, the you know how people sort of mark the end of the the steady output of westerns and things like that, and then you know Costner coming back with you know <laughs> this very sort of involved, very sort of like sprawling epic piece that was you know I I, would, I guess at the time twenty two million was relatively expensive and probably 1989 wow. dollars and stuff yeah um and again too but it's also it's interesting too because it's like yeah dances with wolves is like also weirdly kind of this film that outside of you know i'd say early to mid 90s it, it hasn't it i mean it doesn't have like i don't think a really sort of strong legacy as like a film if that makes sense like it's it's in some ways it's almost kind of like braveheart where it's like unless if you kind of grew up in that era like i don't think kids now even know probably that film you know what i mean it's like same thing with dances with wolves it's kind of like it's something that they probably maybe recognize like the the um the logo type you know like the title from or whatever but they don't necessarily like they probably haven't seen it necessarily that's just my feeling on it at least but yeah i i i I agree with you i do think that um i braveheart braveheart does consist of a lot more battles and violence and i Mm -hmm. think it has carried on a, a bit more of a legacy because of television though i don't know if generations before me even like you know tune into what's on tbs at two in the afternoon <laughs> anymore yeah. that's how i remember yeah, braveheart yeah, after sure. its release um dances with wolves had a little bit of that but you're absolutely right it wins all these academy awards and then it really fades into obscurity and i i don't think i don't think it's um I don't think it deserves that. Like it doesn't, it didn't deserve to beat Goodfellas and to have the same sort of iconic stature that Goodfellas has maybe, but mm. it is a, it is a good, it is a pretty solid achievement of a, of a, of a movie. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I do think like, I, I'm, I'm happier that Goodfellas has like the longer legacy, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I think course. it's, it's totally de- deserved and stuff. I think like, yeah, it's interesting though with this film, I think, cause especially when you do look at like representation of native people in film, and stuff this is definitely sort of like a landmark kind of thing and you know i think obviously um you know it's like i i mean i think most people from my generation like when they think of graham green the first person the, the first thing they think of is this film you know yeah. um mm. and i think it's um so i mean it definitely has its place within sort of a, a larger trajectory of of like the history of film and stuff it's um but yeah it's interesting it's and i think i don't know too i think it's yeah maybe just sort of the the format and the the length which it's like i don't you know, occasionally there are films that are still getting made at three hours, but I think it's also just sort of like the film requires a certain level of, of patience. It's like what you said, where it's like, it's this weird epic. That's really just more about like learning from other people. Like, it's not like, it's not, it's not necessarily this, like, you know, this, this grand scale sort of like battle epic. It's really more kind of, it's a lot, it's a, it's a much quieter film in a lot of ways. Does the film have a, um, it has, uh, you know, obviously no, 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 no culture is monolithic, but it, it has a fairly positive legacy within um, indigenous communities, correct? Or is that, is, is that I think wrong? so. I think it's like, I think it's a bit more of like a generational thing. Like, I think like, you know, like my parents' generation, you know, to, I guess, I'd say like boomers or something like that, like that, like this was much more of kind of like a much more kind of a landmark thing in terms of them not having seen something like this before. And I think it's obviously mm-hmm. at the time it was something that was, you know, it was cool. And it's like, there, it sort of was at a, uh, during, it happened during a time when there were a lot of like political things going on. And, you know, obviously even to this, the Sioux, um, I, I don't know which like band, um, but one of them adopted Costner um, 
into into their tribe as well too i think they gave them a name and everything too um so i mean you know obviously like i I think at the time you know people were were pretty warm to it i think for the most part now most people from that generation kind of are i think like younger people now like most i think they have they have they approach it with a much sort of different critical lens and i think probably the thing that people would take issue with now is most likely kind of the white savior narrative to it so can can i just ask and maybe this is you know backtracking a little bit but we've been talking a lot about the issue of authenticity and Kevin Costner working very closely with native peoples and trying to make the movie as, as authentic as possible. I mean, watching it, where, where do you feel it comes down on that? Like, is it authentic? I mean, are these things faithfully recreated or, or is it getting stuff wrong? And I, you know, I, it, it's hard for me to know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, cause I mean, I'm not Sue. So yeah, I, mean, right, I think if you sure. ask somebody who is Sue, they'd have a totally different, they'd have a totally different response on it i think again too that even might be generational like i i I read this thing earlier where um russell means who um you know he was you know this um this pretty revered like native activist uh, specifically from that time before and stuff and he was also in films too which is funny but um yeah he he kind of had compared the film to lawrence of arabia um which is interesting but he also had a really interesting he had a really interesting point, which I didn't know about this again, not being Lakota, but um, talking about how, I guess they have um, their, their language is gendered. Um, And so like, I guess when, when Costner would speak, he would be using words that were like kind of all, are all like mixed up. So like people who actually knew Lakota were kind of like laughing at it. (laughs) But I think, um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think overall, I would think that there's like a, I think there's a pretty decent, like, warm-ish feeling to to the film i think i think and i think it's more because of what it was trying to do um and i think it's also it's a film that doesn't it's sure like now it may seem a little bit goofy in some ways with some of the stuff that it did but i think um just with how it's aged but i think um you know i think overall i think at the time it was kind of a thing that like people hadn't necessarily seen that type of representation um, or at least like I, maybe I, I don't know if I'd say representation, but at least like the attempt and the effort put in to try to do something that was, um, you know, it involved people from the tribe. It involved a certain level of like uh, of work that people needed to 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 you know just to get what was on screen on screen in a way that like um, you know it seemed to to actually be for in some ways the people that were actually in the film. Uh, but that might there's also another... just be me, though, too. So. There's another element of its authenticity, and I'm 100. I am absolutely not one to speak on this, but according to, I think it was in Wikipedia or somewhere else that I uh, I, I read that uh, the, the the depiction of the relationship between the Sioux and Pawnee is actually uh, reversed from how history shows it in reality that the Sioux were more aggressive uh, territorially mm-hmm. towards the Pawnee rather than the Pawnee towards the Sioux. I mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, that's what I read in the Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't know the actual legitimacy yeah. of well, that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I would actually like to talk about this scene as well. Just in so there's a scene where there's a, a Pawnee raid on the the village that Kevin Costner has been going through this whole time of of the Sioux, and it's while a lot of the men are away making war on someone else. And it 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 is. We were talking a lot about like Western values and meeting Native culture, and this is one of the big moments in the film where we're we're supposed to be really feeling that. Uh, and there's a whole voiceover. And we haven't even talked about the fact that like this movie has all this voiceover, which Kevin Costner is doing in this very weird flat affect, which I guess is supposed to be like a like a like a nineteenth century soldier. That, like it's supposed it, to be like a Ken Burns thing. Chris, like, isn't, 
<laughs> isn't flat isn't flat affect most of kevin costner but it's like way over the top it's I was like gonna say, he's not he's not in exactly like a, a super like even even for kevin costner it's like a such a flat affect it's very weird the way he's doing the voiceover but um he's like oh i was war unlike anything i'd ever experienced and you know it wasn't for you know money or territory uh I thought that scene was so weird because until that voiceover, I felt like it was perfectly intelligible to me. Like as a Western person, I felt like these people are attacking their village and they're defending themselves. And I didn't really see it as being some incredibly, like some example of some incredibly alien moral structure I, I didn't understand. But I didn't know if I was like missing a level to that scene or what. I mean, like, like Ricky, what did you think? What did you think about that? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I could be wrong, but it felt to me like he was really going to great lengths to try not to depict um, uh, Native Americans as, as 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 brutal towards each other. And he was trying to say that this is like a tradition or this is sort of there is something about this that is within heritage that makes more sense than white brutality committed against right. them. It's, yeah. it's a very um, rocky and I think clunky, clunkily written um voiceover because it doesn't seem like he knows exactly how to say that nor fully yeah, believes right. in it but knows yeah. that that's what but that's what he wants the movie to say mm-hmm. um i mean that that's how i read it and again it was another moment where i was like oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> better, better 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 to be nice than and be and be maybe like slightly inauthentic than to like you know really really you know try to paint one tribe as like totally vicious and brutal versus the other you know yeah that makes sense. That was the, <laughs> yeah. That was my read on it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of like my read with with some of it too, because I think it's also like, and I I don't know, I haven't really seen a film that's done this in a way that I think like kind of to what you were saying, where I think it's with this film, in, in some ways, I think it, it because of who's directing it and kind of his goal, I think that there's like some stuff that he tends to kind of again approach something with a little bit more of like a softer edge or uh, like a. a I think there's like certain nuances to some of like his like historically how like you know there were even conflicts within tribes and things like that that I think maybe he just was like this is a bit more out of my depth or like you know I don't want to like I don't want to totally like rock what like I'm you know the 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 cart in terms of like what I'm trying to get get to with the the final goal but yeah I don't I don't know I think it's like that is like kind of one of the things with this film that like I think for me is I mean, no film is perfect or anything like that, but I think like one of the things is also kind of the thing of it, like um, it, it's interesting because it, it, it does portray native people as like, as, as just people in general. Um, there's like a lot of things in there, like, you know, just a lot of like smaller things, but overall I think there's also, I, I know you were saying about like them not being victims, but it also, there's like, there, there's a hint of that in there to me that I think yeah. is also just kind of like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally on board with I, just mostly because I think it's, it, it, but I get sort of what he's trying to go, what length he's trying to go to, to try to like change the narrative that was pretty much in film uh, up until that point. But yeah. Um, oh, and one There's other point only, too, only, I just noticed too, I, yeah. I did, I did, I did, I just realized that I said beforehand when I was talking about the sort of like the last Western, I think I said days of heaven, which I actually should have said heaven's gate. That's what I was meaning. But the two oh right so, yeah so no i i think yeah. you did say heaven's gate actually no. I, I think you did yeah oh, i did okay yeah. cool i thought about it because i think it was like when you were talking about the voiceover and then i was like i was thinking of days of heaven and then i was like <laughs> did i say days of heaven or did no I you're totally cool so, bro you got it 100 yeah. okay, yeah you cool. nailed it nice okay <laughs>
And that was where like some so that was where so much of the trepidation to make this movie like all the studios said no. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he was trying to make a three-hour Western epic in 1988. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. you have to imagine he's like pitching this between 87 oh and God, 88, right. and yeah. Heaven's Gate had only come out five or six, seven, seven. Heaven's Gate was what 1979, 1980. Yeah, it was like around then. Yeah, yeah, and Off it bankrupted. United yeah. Artists and became the sort of go-to anti-auteur example exactly. uh, or our Artur run amok example. So yeah, we're going to give this vain, hot actor $30 million to make a three-hour exactly, yeah. <laughs> Fuck off, dude. For his first, for his first film, too, which is oh like yeah. the other thing. Yeah. You know, I have to say, we keep talking about, you know, like cultural depiction. I do, I do take issue with like one cultural depiction in this movie. And it's just like, you know, why is Kevin Costner the only decent white person in the movie? Like, yeah. there doesn't need there doesn't need to be more decent white people, but to have him be the only one. Mary McDonald, kind of dude. Like, Mary McDonald. Kind of She's decent yeah. also, you know. I guess. But you'd imagine oh, I guess there's kind of like there's one I guess there's one general in the end when they're like beating that, when those guys are beating the hell out of Kevin Costner on the back of the wagon, like that shows up and is like, if you hit him again, I'll, you know, I'll put a bullet in you myself. Like maybe Mm -hmm. that was trying to be the one moment where there's like other people who are not like absolute. Cause the others are just like, Total just like cartoonish like monsters, like, yeah. like murdering yeah. everything yeah. and like, what? yeah, <laughs> pissing their what? pants and bragging about it, farting <laughs> everywhere, yeah. like yeah. raping. Oh, and there's and even like grosser than farting to shoot the, it. Um, Eldon from Murphy Brown, he's like eating a hard boiled egg and talking, and like egg pieces are th- <laughs> spewing out of his mouth the entire time. It's yeah. disgusting. Well, it's not a very like I think. It, it, now obviously 30 years later like i i think it's like a film that's wait not... i'm sorry what did you what did you say what yeah. did you... <laughs> it's it's a film that's like I, I think not particularly it doesn't have a lot of nuance when you really yeah. look at it like when you really dig deep into it so it's like of course it's like if, if it's going to go that way it's got to swing the other way on that but i think it's also in some ways i think even what you were bringing up about just everybody being very old-mannered i think that that might be his equivalent to like Mel Gibson's gore, like it's just one of those things where it's like if someone farts, they have to like spit out the egg that they're talking. Oh my god, it's like like manners porn. It's like just like manners horror, a a pornographic (laughs) fetish in in manner. That's how you know somebody's bad. Is like like, they're just they're a total to Kevin Costner. This is this is horrific. You know, like. Yeah. But that's but that's what I noticed the whole movie, and he even says it in the voiceover, right? Like the guy farts, not to hammer on this for so long, but the guy farts, and then the voiceover comes on, and he's like, "He was the most disgusting man I ever met. I wish he died." Yeah, that's true, yeah. And then like, yeah. and then and then like forty minutes later or an hour later, he spends time with the Sioux, and he's like, "They were the most mannered people I'd ever met in my." And there's yeah. like the Sioux have these lines. They're like white people. They're dirty. They have no manners. You know? Yeah, yeah. I so really, I, it really yeah. felt like a Kevin Costner thing where it's like, I'm sure there's historical like, like evidence of this, but this really feels like a Kevin Costner fetish. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, again, too, even like with like Waterworld, but like, as like just grimy everyone is, it's like Dennis Hopper is like much worse than everybody <laughs> else in that film. <laughs> so. Um, I also, I noticed a, um, uh, a great sort of not even character actor, but like, bit part actor from the 90s who uh was the guy that actually shoots the wolf and is like i got him i got him it's actually kurt 
Kirk Baltz from Reservoir oh, yeah. Dogs, the cop tied oh, to the God. chair. Yeah, copy. Uh, Marvin. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Nash. Nash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, he's like, he's got such a, and he's also in PTA's cigarettes or coffee and cigarettes. He's um the first. Oh yeah, PTA you're right. Show. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one he's one of those like uh, actors who has such a unique strange voice that if like almost like the guy from he's like a a a, a lesser known much lesser known version of the guy from silence of the lambs ted yeah. what's his name uh the doc, the guy who plays the serial killer who plays buffalo bill but he's got oh, a yeah, voice like in, that uh, he appears I'm immediately in like oh marvin nash marvin nash Florida. yeah right yeah Yes. Totally. Yeah, I can't remember his name. I don't think Kirk Baltz has ever really done anything, as far as I know. Since well, I mean, speaking of weird like movie, actors yeah. that are in this like terrible horror part of the movie where the white people return, like Charlie Rocket is the guy that's in charge of the the outfit of soldiers, which is like completely insane. You know, like <laughs> who's Charlie? Isn't Rocket? he like the guy from Saturday Night Live? Like who uh, is married to Julia Louis Dreyfus? Yeah, no, he's the bad know. guy from. Oh. Uh, I look, I'd look him up, but yeah, because I, I, I was like, who is the? And yeah, no, he's the guy from. Uh, he's like the bad guy from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I got yeah. you. I got. <laughs> yeah, he was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, in the '80s. Yeah, he was fired for saying "fuck" on air on Saturday Night Live. That's fine. <laughs> really, just like uh, Jenny. Smith. Yeah, exactly, exactly like that. It's like a, just playing into like Costner's ill-mannered thing. So okay, no, he's not the one that's married. Julie <laughs> like... Joy Lee Reps is married to another guy from SNL from that time period. But this Charlie Rocket was was on SNL. It's just a very weird. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. It's a very weird casting. So do, has I, I know it's it's generational. You, you've said it's it's generational. So this isn't necessarily a movie that's sort of passed on from from generation to gener to generation. I don't think so. I mean, like, it's like, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it's more of like kind of a boomer. Right. I felt when you said like, generational, you yeah, meant like absolutely. only older people like it and younger people kind of think it's yeah. bullshit. Is that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it like all the way bullshit. I mean, I think it's like, there's a lot of, I think, interesting things. I look at it more from like a historical kind of standpoint in terms of just sort of like what it did and like, it is again. It's sort of like this weird thing where it's, it's this, yeah. It's this film that kind of had a cultural moment, but like not too much. Like, like since then, I don't think like film's been like super impacted by it. Since, like since then, you know what I mean? Like it, it did sort of like kick off. Like I think at the time in the '90s, there were like kind of a lot of other films that kind of looked, uh, that kind of tried to do that sort of like anti, or I guess you could say more of like a revisionist western kind of thing. Where it, um, I'm trying to think of a couple off the top of my head that might have been uh maybe not directly related but i mean even probably something like dead man i don't think like dead man would have probably happened if this film didn't didn't happen you know a couple years beforehand you know that is so. amazing to me that like jim jarmish possibly got the money to make dead man off <laughs> like using this in the pitch and they were like yeah. cool this you're gonna make another dances with wolves and he's like yeah yeah well I'm it's not totally dissimilar though too you know i mean it's like the same thing with dead man it's like he goes into that community and gary farmer is essentially the equivalent to Green well like Green in, in speaking film. of this of movies that are have almost exactly the same plot as dances with wolves i was saying to ricky i realized that avatar has exactly the same plot as dances with wolves like literally exactly the same <laughs> yeah. plot and i was like yeah no totally that's completely insane to me that's completely insane that james yeah, cameron totally. got away with that like 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like a weird, that's another weird film that had a cultural moment that like, there's no real fanfare. I mean, like he's making sequels, but it's also kind of like nobody asked for. Well, it's like the highest grossing movie of all time and nobody ever speaks about it or cares to think about it. (laughs) You know, like. Yeah. No, there are, um, Costner, Costner apparently refuses to do sequels for any of his movies. I don't know if that still stands, but there was a period of time where he would just refuse, refuse to do any sequels. And the guy who wrote the book, that uh, Dances with Wolves is based on, they have a backstory together, basically. He was the writer on a movie that Kevin Costner was in a few years before. Forgive me for not being able to remember the name of that movie. And he was pitch- He had written the screenplay for Dances with Wolves and couldn't get it made. And Kevin Costner told him to go write a book and we can use the book to get it made. I don't know what the deal with Hollywood is. So he <laughs> wrote a book and then they used that to get the movie made. And then afterwards he wrote another, he wrote a sequel and then wrote a screenplay for a third and he was going to make them, but Kevin Costner refused to be involved. So they never got made. And then the guy died. <laughs> wow. What a sad story. So there, Ricky. Are wow, that's, like... there, there are, there are sequel stories is, is, is what I mean. Like the guy who wrote dances with wolves wrote more John Dunbar uh, stories. And I yeah. think this, and I think the sequel is like, is like Dunbar and uh, Stands with Fists are living in like a mountain somewhere and they're alone and then they get uh, raided or like the, the 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 army comes in. I don't know. I imagine it's like the beginning of Commando or Swordsmakers <laughs> and Alyssa Milano in the mountain yeah. and then the helicopters come in and they're yeah. like you know they're John John, John they're Dunbar killing. yeah John Dunbar becomes Johnny Matrix <laughs> yes yeah you know you know John Matrix yeah <laughs> like so. they're killing all your men John we need you <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah, no, I think it's, I do like kind of weirdly remember reading something about that. I think that, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's in a weird way. It almost kind of would have been like, oh no, I was going to say something like the the Revenant, but the Revenant doesn't really have a thing with his, his kid or anything like that. But yeah, it's interesting because it's like, it almost sounds like in some ways it would have been something closer to something kind of like maybe like Jeremiah Johnson or something like that, where he's it seems like he's probably more of something like a mountain man. He has like, you know, native kids with a native woman and something like that. But yeah. Yeah. I was just saying that uh, I'll probably cut this out because it's so tangential, but in, uh, in commando, <laughs> when the army shows up at the top, I'm so sorry. This is like I the core commando of Ricky's so interesting commando film. Yeah. It's like talking about a movie like commando. I, I like... Mean, <laughs> commando is like top three Arnold Schwarzenegger movies for me. It's way, it's just so perfect. <laughs> But uh, when they when they roll in the army and they tell him that they need him, he goes, "We were going to live a normal life, but they're like in a secluded mountain home away from everybody, and no yeah, one's around." He just carries like full like trees, yes. it's, like not even logs. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally yeah. normal life where he also has an arsenal in right. the shed. shack in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like I would not be interested in seeing that movie unless if there's somebody that dies like Bennett. You know, just like with a steam pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. <laughs> yeah, so good. Um, so the, uh, you know, when, usually when we, the way that we wrap up this show is uh, we have three questions that we always do that, uh, Adam, I, I, I should have prompted you with. No worries, no worries. I have them earlier, but I forgot. No worries. Uh, and the first one is, is um, what is your favorite part of the movie? Do you have a favorite part of the movie? Uh... <laughs> Probably the first part we were talking about, probably the farts. That's that's hella tight. That's hella tight. Yeah. yeah. Good farting. 
Chris, oh, what's your favorite you know, part? I gotta say, just like looking at the West, like we were talking about how what a visual film this is, and how we don't think about that from an actor director like Kevin Costner. But like, like I was saying earlier, I mean, I feel like the movie goes out of its way to just give you as many huge wide shots as possible of people like riding horses next to a mountain range, that kind of stuff. You know, sunset on a field of grain, like. I, I, I'm a real sucker for that kind of thing. And there's so much of it in this film. It was, it was really great. Uh, uh, what, what about yourself, um, Ricky? I have, I think the worst, um, the worst one, which is literally the moment where he dances. With the <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you. I loved that moment so much. It comes like, a solid two yes. hours to 10 into the movie. So it like absolutely earns. He's played. He's been trying movie, to make friends with this wolf for a solid hour of the movie, you know? <laughs> so it's but like, it literally, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Cause it's like, it literally has its own like Joker fied moment where he's like, I'm going to become. But literally, I was like watching the movie alone and he started dancing with the wolves and I was like, arms pumping fists pumping in the air like he's dancing with the wolves i was like so excited oh my god and i thought it was totally oh earned it's like it's really i think like uh, i think people often smart people who talk about movies all the time neglect when like a a, a like a, a very accessible movie earns like pop culture status moments and how hard that can actually be to do and the movie works super hard to like earn its title in that part and it, I, I I don't know it landed for me. yeah you've had to watch like 25 oh. straight minutes of him trying to feed a wolf you know <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> but then he's also not dancing he's ch- he's trying to chase it away and they notice him trying to chase it away and they say that it's the the the, the Sioux say that he's dancing with it it's, cra- it's, it's great. Just great it is it's great it's very well done um, um, so our next, our, the next question is, and this is kind of a hard one for this movie, uh, because it's a period piece, but what, you know, because this show is called 30 years later and we started it this year, every movie takes place. Every movie was made in 1990 or released in 1990. So we ask, what is the most nineties thing about this movie? Um, so yeah, Adam, for you, what is the most nineties thing about this movie? Uh, I think to be honest, I would, I'd probably say, and I don't mean this as like a dig at all. I think probably Kevin Costner. <laughs> like, I think it's yes. it's solid I mean, answer. Yeah, solid well, answer, it's like yeah. it was very like I think it's very much like it, it was very much like his decade, and I think this was definitely like a a solid kickoff into that. But it's inter- it's interesting too because it's like I think he's, I mean he's still making stuff, but I just think it's not like again too. It's like it, it's kind of more like boomer stuff you know like yellowstone or you know like my father-in-law loves that show and stuff but i think it's you know i think that it was very much kind of like a moment for kevin costner and i think kind of at him becoming like i, I mean i guess he was already kind of a-list before with like you know the the untouchables and stuff but i think very much kind of this thing where he was he kind of transcended that for like a brief moment or something but i think yeah I, was- I, I don't think he's necessarily sort of like reached that peak again some ways so. he was um he was mom hot for the entire <laughs> yes, decade 100 like and, and like i remember multiple times being in a kitchen with moms and moms being like kevin costner's in it <laughs> Ooh, yeah. you know yeah. also yellowstone uh like my parents also love yellowstone and i've seen one scene of yellowstone that i caught in a hotel room and it was a super hot girl 
with like a <laughs> like like a like an early aughts tight tank top on <laughs> like a horror movie tight tank like top a, like on. a shannon like elizabeth style tank top yeah yeah 100 like in the woods with some guy and they start making out and they're like oh well what if like we get caught by like the the owner of the house or something and they're like fuck it like let's keep making out and then they get on the ground and they're about to fuck and they look over and there's a wolf watching them <laughs> and like 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 five feet away and he's like don't worry, he likes to watch. And I was like, what the fuck is this show? That's pretty good. Oh my god. My one experience. Um, yeah, I gotta say, I think Kevin Costner is obviously a great answer to what's in the most 90s. But I also think something about the way that this movie has a, a big score. I feel like that's very, very 90s. Yes. So the score for this movie is by John Barry, who you know invented the James Bond theme. He also did Out of Africa. But it's doing this very Aaron Copeland-y American classical music thing. It won the Oscar for best score. But like throughout the decade, you know, I, movies like, you know, Titanic, Jurassic Park, uh, Apollo 13, uh, and even like, like Far and Away, <laughs> like movies like this where there's just a yeah. big orchestral score that's driving the entire action of the movie. It's very intrusive in a lot of ways, but it's also like pretty good music. You know, like I feel like yeah. this, that's a very, very 1990s thing that doesn't really exist these days. Like I did think about this really too, where like, I think on the, the, the title on the poster is all, like, it's not papyrus, but no, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like when yeah. you look at, I like watched it on Amazon, you look it up on Amazon and you're like, this was the poster for this movie, <laughs> like with, with yeah, this totally, font, yeah. and like it's like all purple, yeah. and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is fucking nuts. Like for this big widescreen yeah. western, it's a just a solid purple thing with the title and papyrus, <laughs> and Kevin Costner looking yeah. weird with a mullet. <laughs> like, yeah, for real, yeah. I'll oddly say, like I I grew accustomed to the score and and ended up really liking it as the movie went on, but the first part of the movie. The score where he's in in the Jesus uh, scene, it's the the battle in the Jesus scene. It's so strange and old movie ish to me. I felt like it almost sounded like like an Indiana Jones type in that scene specifically with all these guys like shooting. I was like, I don't know what emotion the score wants me to be feeling now. Yes, because it's almost like (laughs) zany or like comedic. The the score, but he's like about to get murdered, you know. And I was like, I don't understand this at all. Indiana Jones is the theme that's like bum, ba, da, bum, bum, ba, no, that's, that's right. Superman. That's Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, yeah, it's like, wait, I'm what? Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Thanks. Chris. Fuck one, you, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the most uh, '90s thing for me, I would have said Kevin Costner as well, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go uh, more esoteric than that. I'm gonna say Kirk Ball. <laughs> Is the most yeah. '90s thing in the movie for me. <laughs> well, it's interesting too. Like I don't a, another think he had kind a of like after that. Well, like another sort of like interesting like connection slash like not it's not anything direct, but like when you look at like Kirk Baltz and obviously the thing with Tarantino was that uh, Tarantino. I I don't know if it was ever officially locked or if it was it, I, there was a character in Django Unchained that he had originally I think he had written for Costner and Costner at one point was attached. Uh, and I think he was, Whoa. he was like, a. um, there's like a, a 
a character who I know in Django, he was like one of the guys that sort of like with uh, DiCaprio, he like sort of like runs and, and breaks like the slaves and stuff. He's like this really horrible character. But originally that was um, the guy that was uh, that Costner was going to play at one point. But then I don't know if like I think maybe Costner was like, this isn't really my brand. I think it's interesting because it's like it was also kind of like that thing where it's like Tarantino does that thing where it's like, you know, he'll like take an actor that maybe, you know, sort of like fallen out of like the 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 level that they were in pop culture at one point and then sort of like spin them in another way, which I mean, it would have been interesting because it would have been also sort of this weird sort of like other, like not a Western, but it's kind of the same time period, but also like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if like, I think Costner just, you know, I think he's probably very conscious of his image and, you know, sort of his brand as well. Conscious, so. I gotta say, I like, I like Django <laughs> conscious of image or not. Like I 100% respect and understand any white. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to, like, how many times do I say the N word? Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sure Quentin's going to do a good job and it's going to be great, but uh, I, I don't really want to spend two weeks doing I have this. to dismember how many people and what am I saying while I exactly, do it? Yeah. But yeah, interesting, like, like 90s, Kirk Baltz, Tarantino, like by way of, <laughs> you know, isn't there, isn't there like a isn't there a scene in Django where Walton Goggins is just doing a monologue at Jamie Foxx's hanging dick? I think at one yeah, point. Yeah, no, there like, is. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's like yeah, because like, I mean, it's like after Tarantino shows up like in the film himself, like he's like I think he's like a, yeah, he's a slave trader or something like that. Yeah. My God. It's like, I mean, ha- like, imagine getting that script and be like, I'm gonna, no, <laughs> sorry. I mean, I'd love to work <laughs> this, with you on something, but, uh, right. you know, just the timing is not right. The timing's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the third question uh, that we ask, which sometimes feels similar to what is the most 90s thing, but I don't think it will here. And I think we've already talked a lot about uh, the answers to this. It's mainly what this entire conversation has been about. But, you know, this movie came out 30 years ago. What do you think this movie has grown out of? since it was uh, born into the world? I think there's an obvious answer to this, but I think it's also like not totally true. I think like the one obvious answer, which I think is kind of inherently false would be the white savior thing. Cause I think that that still happens a lot. Uh, I think uh, even like, even though people are conscious of it, it's like, you know, once they announce something, they're like, wait, Scarlett Johansson's playing what, you know Like, I mean, but it's like with this, it's like, I think, I don't know. I mean, I would probably say more as like a format thing i i really think probably a film at this scale and at this runtime i don't think that that's something that it's it's much it's much rarer to you know obviously a three-hour film but i mean i feel like a film of that time that was specifically sort of like a western and it was very much focused on the visuals i just don't think that that really happens anymore i mean occasionally you know you'll get like paul thomas anderson or something like that but i mean i think it's not it's not like this you know i mean this is very much a thing also that was kind of of the time that i think just given how we digest media and you know how people you know it's weird they'll they'll like binge watch like seven hours of like the queen's gambit but then it's like if you ask them to sit down for a three-hour film they're like oh oh, i can't do that no i totally agree with you this was my my answer too was that it's like a big film in the way that big films do not exist anymore I mean, all the stuff we've been talking about, how it's like a movie for adults, it's mostly about interpersonal drama, but it's like also got like a very, very strong visual sense. And it's also just kind of like not a lot happens. I mean, we were talking about big 
battle scenes in movies before. I mean, the the equivalent, there, while there are actually battle scenes in this movie, the equivalent is like the buffalo hunt, which we haven't talked about. But this is like this famous scene from this movie yeah. where there's over 3,000 buffalo and they really shot it with all these buffalo and they're all riding horses. Like that is the big action sequence in this movie. And it's not really that action-y. You know, it's, I mean, it's beautiful and it is action in the purest sense of the word, but it's not like a fight in in, in the way that, you know, you think of spent, a big fight. Uh... They spent over like two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand dollars on the mechanical buffalo that they end up sort of using at the end as the one that like um, attacks the kid and Kevin Costner has to shoot down. It was like a huge <laughs> yes, deal that I think that, yeah. like Costner yeah. had to like put put up his own money for it again. It was another moment where he had to do. I that. mean, it looks good though. What can you say? You can't argue with the results. It looks good. Honestly, I would not have guessed that was a mechanical buffalo. <laughs> like, I mean, buffaloes have a lot of hair, so I guess that's lucky. You know, it's not like a shark. But like it looks good, dude. Like it, money, money well yeah. spent. I will say. Yeah, but yeah, it's like I mean, uh, I think it's also like I would guess probably around. I don't know the release date on top of. I mean, I feel like this is a film that was probably you know obviously released in the fall, probably for awards, award consideration and stuff. But it, yeah, same thing. It's like you just don't really see, like this type of film made yeah. anymore. Just specifically, I think with that length or just something that like it takes its time with three hours versus kind of you and- know trying to trying to cram in like a, a battle scene every, every and it's like you were saying scene. it is like an awards film but the concept that this is an awards film it's so it's a million miles from what an awards film is today <laughs> right true. you know yeah for sure well, because awards awards films used to just be i mean i could be wrong about this and maybe i'm overgeneralizing but there wasn't the marketing campaign and pushes that there are now and so it was kind of like oh we have a good movie Let's mm-hmm. like set it up for the right period of time so people remem- remember it when awards voting comes. It wasn't like, well, we're making this for awards voting, so let's push through Hillbilly Elegy, oh even God. though we know it's oh what God. it is. <laughs> I mean, also, I haven't actually seen Hillbilly Elegy yet. I will, I will just, full confession, I am cannot wait. <laughs> I am on pins and needles. That is going to be my fucking crack cocaine this weekend. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna hit that shit so hard. It looks hilarious. Oh my God. Um, uh, what? But anyway, like I, I don't think they had like they like it was just like we're taking a chance on a movie. Oh shit, the movie's good. Let's release it around this period of time. Like does yeah. that? Does I mean I could be wrong about that, but it seems like at the that very least right, it was. Right. It wasn't until like ninety nine, two thousand that they started being like Weinstein specifically started being like let's make movies that we can specifically market towards the Oscars. Yeah, it's like I, I think it's also too just sort of like how we've talked about sort of like the gamble that this film feels like like culturally and even just like from like a a business standpoint, you know, back in the day, I think it's like, yeah, yeah. It's weird to think that like somebody would be like, yeah, let's give Costner all this money. Like let's shoot for, you know, an October or November, December release. And like, it just doesn't seem like this is that film. It just seems like it's something that he kind of probably took some of his time with and put his money in. And then, you know, some exact saw it and they're like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. Let's like, you know, let's, let's push for it. So. Yeah. It also feels like one of the things that I like about the aesthetic of this movie is that it's very, it is very mainstream. It's very accessible in terms of how it's shot and how it's cut, but it's also very mainstream and accessible for 1990, which feels worlds apart from what is mainstream and accessible right now in terms of like cut the rhythm of the cutting, the totally. way that the, the, the way that the shots are set up. I mean, it's shot like a classic movie. You have masters, you have mediums, you have close-ups versus mm. just sort of like as many handheld close-ups as possible to get the day done. <laughs> right. And then we'll cut that shit together somehow later. Yeah. Totally. You know? Yeah. 
yeah, there's like a certain like, I don't I mean, this might sound a little bit corny, but yeah, I agree with you. There's like a certain level of like craft in this film that yeah. like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like an accident, like that this film is this long or that it's, you know, shot the way that it is, or, you know, that it sort of takes its time. So um, what do yeah. you think we've grown out of Ricky? Did you already answer Chris? Yeah, I was, it was, that was my same answer was that the way it's a big film like this, that, that that's totally, I, I had that in my notes and I'll send them to you if you want proof. <laughs> Sorry, I did steal my uh, You know, I would, I would say an actor with a flat affect, but I don't <laughs> think that that's true. And I can, I can name a couple off the top of my head that are super famous right now and have <laughs> a very Kevin Costner energy. Um, Gosling. Uh, but I do love, but I, but I do love them both. Um, uh, what can I say? I, I love a beautiful movie star. And Kevin Costner is a beautiful movie he star. He really is. He really like, is. Like many shots of the movie, I was like, God damn, what a what a hunky movie star this man I mean, is. I never realized. As that. much as we're talking about the fact that it's like a beautiful film directed by this actor director, you wouldn't expect like sure as shit, there are lots of beautiful shots of him against like an expansive western sunset where his hair looks absolutely perfect. And you're like, Yeah, okay, he directed this movie and he is the star. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, yes. he's very much yeah. like the on top of the pyramid of this film. Like nobody's better looking than hundred percent entire film. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm probably going to agree with you guys on like the overall aesthetic and economic model of the movie and just the idea that we're we're never going to get this again. You know, we could say, like you said, the, the sort of white savior narrative, but that's not true. I mean, maybe we don't they're not hit as hard as it is hit in this movie. I mean, each the two the two like good white characters get their savior moments many, many times, or at least Mary gets hers once unnecessarily so i don't know why she gets a scene and what she gets a moment where she does that and kevin costner is i mean it's 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 odd how many times he saves the day <laughs> in in the movie like yeah. watching the movie i kept being like come on there has to be somebody else there who can save them right there has to be somebody else there who can do this moment right now but he just happens to be in every moment at every time to uh to save the day he's like mark Wahlberg in patriots what? today just yeah. happens to be there in every single moment that it is interesting happens. though because the movie it's like it's it, like a lot of conservative stuff it positions the white guy as like an underdog so before the scene in the buffalo you're talking so there's a scene in the buffalo hunt where he shoots this buffalo and he saves this kid who's going to be killed by the buffalo we've heard earlier in the movie they're like white people smell like shit they can't shoot and so then it's like, we're seeing Kevin Costner prove he can shoot, you know, it's like, so it's like him, like disproving this negative thing. And like, uh, you know, he's positioned as like, he sucks and, but he's going to prove he actually doesn't yeah. suck, you know? Well, yeah. And I think also like what I think you're onto there too, is like, and not to be too meta about it is I think that like, maybe we've grown out of this film in particular in and of itself, because it's sort of like, it's, I don't know if you'd say like it's the punchline, but it's always like the title used to describe things. So like, you know, when there was like The Last Samurai, there was like Dances with Samurai. It's like you know, <laughs> kind of roughly the same sort of trajectory and stuff where they were saying the same thing with uh, like Avatar where they were calling it like Dances with Firm Guardian and stuff. You know? <laughs> where it's like, it's, a, it's, it's always the same sort of thing. But yeah, it's like what you were saying where I think like that, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't, I, I might be kicking myself later because I do, rem I might remember something, but off the top of my head, I don't think that there was like a film that was that laid all of this out the way that it did at the time. But because it became something, because it essentially became sort of like 
the model for how do you tell a story about like a white guy going into like this other culture it became like the template for that but it's also the thing that we all we automatically identify as it's always going to be dances with something you know so yeah I, I guess i guess i'm kind of just in 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 agreement with you guys about uh yeah being able to even make a movie like this again i mean what was the last like over three hour movie that we got the irishman and that was like like uh, like an avant-garde hellscape for most people but like my favorite movie that i've seen in years but anybody that i talked to was like how dare you even say that it was the longest piece of shit i've ever seen i hated it and i'm like oh i'm sorry i thought it was really entertaining all the way through i loved it um like not a fair comparison but yeah i think you're on to something with that too because it's like i mean the closest thing and I think, and I think it's a much, much better film than Dances with Wolves, and it'll, I think it'll definitely last the, the test of time. But something like, like Silence, for example, where it's yeah. same, th- it's a similar s- trajectory in terms of like you know the sort of the setup and stuff like that. And obviously, the ending is much different, but, um, but I think same thing where it's very intentional with the time that it takes to tell its own story and what, what its concerns are and how its concerns are very different from you know. Uh, any sort of like larger blockbuster that it, you know, people would try to pit it against for, for some reason, which wouldn't make sense. But like, yeah, I think that that's a, that's probably, I think the closest thing that I can think of probably outside of the Irishman where it's something where, again, it's like a period piece that is very much about like what is going on inside of this character and like, you know, him learning from other people that he's wrong in terms of like how he believes certain things and stuff like that. But yeah. Though I will say, and I know that, and you know, you, I think you prefaced by saying they're, they're different films, but one of the things that I appreciated about Dances with Wolves upon, you know, sitting in my home and getting ready to watch a three hour movie with Kevin Costner from 1990, which I got to be honest, I was looking forward to in a much more masochistic way than I was (laughs) like, I'm going to enjoy this way, Uh, which was that it, which was that even though it, it doesn't contain battle scenes and it's mostly about these people, somehow it moves very quickly. It really does, it's right? Like, it, yeah. it is it is wildly entertaining. Like at no point was I kind of like, Jesus Christ, this movie, like, come on, <laughs> let's pick up the pace here. We're just sort of sitting here talking and learning. Like, no, it, everything about it is like fascinating and beautiful and funny and entertaining. And everybody's like gorgeous to look at. It feels just like a great Hollywood like it feels like what Hollywood movies like in their in their in their best design should should well, do. I think there's something very yeah. like and I think I'll, novelistic I'll... about it as well like you know it is based on a novel right and it's interesting to hear the novel started as a screenplay but it's got very distinct chapters to it you know where you can and there's even like sort of audiovisual cues that we move into a new chapter like when this sort of love story starts between Kevin Costner and this the woman with the tribe. It's like he shaves his mustache and he starts wearing different clothes. And you just, after five or 10 minutes of it, you're like, oh, we've moved into a completely different section of this film, you know? And then there's more sections after that. And I, I feel like that in particular, you don't see as much these days. And this very, very novelistic, like segmented storytelling, um, where there's like very different concerns and visual looks in different part of the film, you know? Hmm. I think also too. Uh, I think it's Adam, also, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, good. Oh yeah, no, I was gonna no, say. No, I no, I was, also... I was, I was calling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, no worries. Yeah, no, I was gonna say. I think it's also when you look at it. I mean, for for better or ill, and you know, for maybe some of the missteps that the film takes along the way, or, and, and you know, and then some of the stuff that it does do that it does get right. It's very much like a film where you can tell that 
the the director is like 100 on board with everything in this film and like it's very much about his own his own interest in like what he's showing you you know and so i think it's it's interesting in that sense because it's like For there's sure. a certain you know again it's a, it's a very sort of it is a very sort of mainstream studio piece for the time but there's also i think because of that and because he's also you know the star and and the director there's something about it about the way that the film is sort of structured like with what you were saying where it is it does have a very sort of like bespoke feel to in, to some extent with some of it which i think is also something that is it's pretty interesting uh given the length as well too um, my last question before we go, because I think, uh, Adam, we've kept oh you on God, five so minutes long, past uh, so your, your heart out. I apologize. But my, my last no question is, um, we uh, you know, oftentimes we look back on movies like this, uh, whether it's from this period of time or before, and we and I think we we fault them for their uh, for their their limitations in, in in that moment. And one of the things that we talked about was the sort of limitation of having to be focused on this main character and making him the main part of it and thereby end up, whether intentional or not, making him kind of the white savior, even though, mm. you know, so the, the rest of the whites are also depicted as 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 vicious it's not like one of those it's not like the principal with jim belushi where he's the white savior in like the entire black community or like (laughs) minority community or anything saving them from themselves or anything like that um do we forgive it for its 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 missteps due to the due to the time that the period of time that it was made and maybe the limitations that were were set against it or do we hold those um hold those missteps missteps uh, uh, against it and think it should have known better? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not speaking for anybody other than myself when I say this. Like, oh, I of think, course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I don't know if it's necessarily for myself, even if it's a question of necessarily forgiving it, because I think it's like it already kind of holds a, a place, again, like I mentioned, kind of a, a generational thing where it's uh, – not that this is a a perfect comparison by any means, but it's like, you know, it's the same thing where it's like, you know, blazing saddles means something to like our parents' generation more so than like probably how it would to like ours. And it's like kind of one of those things where I think when you look at it, it's like, are there things that like, if it were made now, that would be completely different or that maybe some nuances that it should take? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But I think also you have to look at that film within the context of when it came out and I think kind of what it was trying to do. And I think it's, it's in some ways it's not uh how would i put it like there had been other films i think that had attempted something similar that had tried to portray native americans from in a more sympathetic way but i think that this was the first film that really sort of like i don't want to say it was a home run but it, it definitely kind of like it, it it managed to get the filmmaking up to uh the message i guess that it was the overall sort of intent of what it was trying to do in a way that like clearly like was a hit with everybody. Um, so I think it's, I think it's more just kind of like with that, I think it's, I don't, I don't think it's like a, an ill natured film or anything, you know, I think it's um, yeah. Just, I think there's some stuff that in it now that people probably wouldn't do, but I think overall, I think it's um, from my perspective and just with my own experience with it growing up and, you know, still seeing some people talk about it. I don't think it's um, I mean, I think it's, it's important for people to, to see or at least revisit just as a, a touch as a touch point, but also to see, um, you know, it's it's also like kind of one of the earlier, uh, it's one of the earlier earliest examples of like what people are trying to do now in terms of like involving native people within the film, within a film that's actually about themselves. 
Um, and in some ways it's, 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 it's not a, it's not a total through line, but I mean, it's, it's not totally dissimilar. It's not a totally dissimilar sort of like, uh, I guess you could say like manifestation of like what, uh, like Brando did during the Oscars. It's, it's very much, it's, it's, it's of the same intent in terms of like what it's trying to do and what it's trying to correct. And, uh, is it, you know, is it a perfect film in terms of what it tries to do? No, but I mean, no film is, but I also think that it's, um, you know, clearly it has, it has its place. So, um, yeah, I would agree with you. Adam, I want to thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking about uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah, it was <laughs> so interesting. Thank us. you so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been great. And uh, Chris, good to talk to you. Yeah, you too, uh, brother. Next week, we're going to talk about a movie that is um, inarguably as important um, as uh, as Dances with Wolves, and that is Home Alone, starring um, oh, a child, like a, a, a child Kevin Costner, a young Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Yeah, which I should say, they should reboot it with a native child. It would totally change the dynamic of that. <laughs> Make it a metaphor. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Adam, thanks so much. Thank thanks, you. everybody, for Thank listening. You. Right. Good night. Thanks. <laughs>